Welcome to this edition of DCS Talks, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talks is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community on ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. Welcome to today's edition of DCS Talks, where I will be joined by a special guest, Tony Neese, who serves as DCS's Director of Program Evaluation under the Office of Continuous Quality Improvement. Welcome, Tony. Good morning. How are you? Good. So today we're going to talk about CFSR. So, Tony, I guess the first thing we need to talk about is what is CFSR and what is its purpose? Okay, CFSR is the Child and Family Service Review, and it is a qualitative review process. Uh, It's a pretty intensive review that all states, uh, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico are required to go through. It's a federal review. It was designed several years ago as a way for the Children's Bureau of the United States Department of Health and Human Services to determine how states were doing. There's really three purposes. Uh, The first purpose is to help each state understand the services that they're delivering to children and family and if those services are of quality. The other purpose is for the Children's Bureau to be able to determine if each state is in conformity with certain federal CFSR particularly is looking at federal standards tied to our 4B funding from Social Security Administration Act and Chafee funding and some other um, Funding like CAPTA, CARA, that sort of thing is all embedded into the CFSR. We also have some other review processes that are similar, mm-hmm. like um, you know, a lot of our money comes from Title IV-E. We do do 4E audits, but they're more financial audits. Yeah. This is the quality side of those uh, audits that we do for the Children's Bureau. The bulk of our money uh, that the department gets actually comes from the federal government through Medicaid, Social Security Administration, 40 and 4B dollars. So this is a way to make sure that we are meeting the outcomes desired for children and families in Tennessee. And this is also a way for us to be able to constantly be looking at continuous quality improvement. Um, The Child and Family Service Review is set up. There's actually 36 items. So 18 of those items are items that we look at through the case review process. So a CFSR reviewer will look at TFACs. They will look at hard copy case file if there is one. They will look at any other kind of documentation that we have for those 18 items as well as do a series of interviews. Uh, We like to do those interviews in person going out into the home of the child, the family, going out to talk to the provider any caseworker who had a case. All these things that you're looking at when you're doing your CFSR reviews or just what CFSR Mm -hmm. is looking for. So how does that affect the department as a whole? One of the big pieces is financial. Okay. What happens is during a round of CFSR, in 2017, we looked at 75 cases of all different types in all 12 regions across the state. And from there, the Children's Bureau looked at how we met best practice standards. Mm -hmm. So each item to pass isn't a good word, but to pass a CFSR, you have to be at 95% conformity. 94% is fail. 
there is no A, B, C, or D. It's an A or an F, if you will. Right. 95% means you pass. 94% means you failed. So with that, the whole purpose is to force each state to constantly be working to do better, to do better, to do better, because it is quite a feat to achieve 95% on every case that you review. Right. Even though we did, we actually were in substantial conformity with item number one, which was uh, response times for CPS. And we were close on some, but what happens after that first year, that initial CFSR, the 2017 we had, the Children's Bureau will then have us develop, it's called a Program Improvement Plan or a CFSR PIP. Right. We have to develop the PIP in conjunction with internal and external stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So we had a number of focus groups. We do deep dives of some of the data to kind of get at the right. root causes of what impacted those 18 items in particular. You're also looking at the systemic factors, but mostly those 18 items that's around the case review, which are all tied to permanency, safety, and well-being. Our PIP was approved to begin April the 1st of 2019. Okay. It has eight quarters, so basically two years. We are right now uh, finishing up March 31st will be quarter four. Uh, So our PIP, if you will, will be done uh, March 31st of next year. Okay. During that two-year period of time, we have to basically achieve those goals, those action steps, and those sort of things. Uh, If we do not, then the Children's Bureau can uh, enact financial penalties for us. Okay then impacts a lot of different things that we do. Once we get the goals, strategies, and everything met, and we have met our measurement plan, from April the 1st of 21 up to uh, March the 31st of 22, we then will continue to give the Children's Bureau some data to see how those things that we had are working out. For instance, I think it's goal one, strategy one, has to do with the quality context. By the end of our PIP next year, uh, we would need to have everything done in the quality context, but we will be providing data up until 2022 on the successfulness of that initiative. Uh, Team Leader Mentoring Enhancement Project, the CFTM uh, revitalization, all mm-hmm. of those things we get to continue to provide data on to 2022. In 2022, the Children's Bureau will finally make the decision and say, okay, you are or are not in compliance. And we could walk away with no fine or however much. Okay. So it would impact a lot. So there's some financial, right? There, There's some financial. Uh, the other piece is really looking at gearing us to federal standards. Uh, one of the things that we discovered, uh, kind of the root cause of a lot of ours, is the quality of that first visit. This also kind of goes along with some other things that is being seen nationwide in child welfare. One of the things the Children's Bureau has done, they have um, set some new goals, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
One of those goals is about ensuring that all state child welfare systems have qualified, well-trained, well-supported staff. Right. Um, Tennessee, like other states, have a very high turnover rate uh, in child welfare. And not just public child welfare, like DCS and the others, but if you look at contract agencies, uh, mental health agencies that deal with children and families, the turnover rate is quite high. We discovered that some of our quality visitation issues actually are tied to that. So, so can you give me an example of? One of the things that we saw, we have a lot of workers who will go through the training and then they will develop a relationship with that child, with that family. Sort of the whole engagement piece of our um, practice will. Well, then they may leave and then we may start over with another worker. We miss things. And then with that piece of it... It also impacts how long it takes to reach permanency as well, which is our huge piece. Yes, it impacts permanency. You have the engagement piece that is impacted. It's also really causing delays in everything that we do. Um, We're missing quality assessments with that piece of it too. You take that and then you look one level up. We have the Team Leader Mentoring Enhancement Project that we're doing. A lot of the supervisors who work in child welfare now are relatively new themselves. Not only new to supervision, but you know, you look at child welfare across the nation now, a lot of the frontline supervisors have been in child welfare four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. Back 20 years ago when I started working for the department, most of your frontline supervisors had 15, 20, 25 years in, and they were the frontline supervisors. Um, the turnover impacts that. It impacts um, a lot of different things. We are really looking at through the quality contacts initiatives, making sure that everybody understands what a quality visit is, uh-huh. all the different pieces of a quality visit, but then how the supervisors can coach and mentor right. the new staff around what a quality visit is. One of the things that we discovered is that we do miss things a lot on those visits. Um, We really focused a lot on quantity, not quality, for a period of time, which we also have to do. Uh, One of the things that is a requirement, uh, we do reports to the federal government on the percentage of children that are seen Mm -hmm. every month. And we have to be at a very high level. I think it's 95, 96%, something like that, of every kid having a visit. And then there's a high percentage of those visits actually have to be where the child resides. So we report out on those two things. What we found when we did those deep dive analysis is we do really good on quantity. We're nailing most of those marks. I mean, consistently we're getting... The well over 95 percent that kind of thing but you sit down and you really anal- uh, analyze and do a deep dive analysis of the quality of that visit it really wasn't there mm-hmm. you have to look at you know why is that uh so i think we focused for a period of time on very formal assessments and somehow we got away from 
the fact that those informal assessments that those frontline workers make every time they have that contact right. is what feeds those formal. And that has many times a greater impact on the success of that family than... Um, Almost like we're not giving our own selves exactly. credit exactly. for what we're doing. And then you run into the problem, even when we've had these amazing workers who have done the most amazing informal assessments and do the frontline visits, and they're, you know, rocking it out with that and doing engagement with the family. If you have that worker and then they stay two years and then they leave, but they did not properly document what they did, that is kind of lost, especially in that last cases they may have had open because right. if they go out the door they're trying to clean up their cases when they're leaving they don't have everything in there it's lost so that next worker maybe doesn't know what happened uh, so it's really making sure that workers trust themselves to make those informal assessments uh, and that they're spending the time with the family to make those informal assessments there's two items in particular that are really big on assessment. Um, item three is talking about safety assessments. Yeah. And you can't make a good quality safety assessment under item three standard, really, unless you're in the home where the child resides and you're having a private conversation with that child about yeah. um, safety. So those are things that we're really having to make sure occur. Right. I think focusing on quantity too, you know, you see a lot of really well-written documentation, but then you read it and it's like, you know, did this really get to the root cause of what's going on with this child and his family? Yeah. Really pushing on the quality contacts piece, the getting that visit right, getting that engagement right, getting that assessment right yeah. is only going to help that child and family and it's only going to improve outcomes. Uh, and hopefully... Um, not only get that child to permanency quicker, mm -hmm. but it will also help us because we see a lot of times when, you know, a family may have had several open cases during a period of time. Well, if you think about it, what would have happened if we would have got the assessment right in case one? Right. Case two and three may have never happened. The family could have not had maybe a traumatic situation happen like with a removal or something if we had done the right assessments on the front end for prevention which also kind of moves into you know the children's bureau's new vision is uh doing more prevention services because every time we remove a child bring a child in foster care we are creating a level of trauma right for that child so i think really working on the visits uh, really working on the supervision, really working on hearing that child's voice and the parent's voice mm -hmm. through the CFTM revitalization and stuff that's in the plan are going to help us right. be a better department. Right. It's also going to help our frontline staff and frontline supervisors uh, be, you know, better social workers. So I think there's a lot of impacts with that. It's not only on performance, but financial and then it, it's all tied to a lot of stuff yeah um and we have there's a lot going on right now um we have the new families first prevention services act is really the first change in public child welfare since the 90s okay so this is some big stuff and it's interrelated to what we're doing 
for those who might be listening or whatever that maybe they're brand new to child welfare mm-hmm. or maybe they're brand new to the department or what would you say for them? Because just listening about all this stuff about CFSR could seem a little overwhelming. So if mm-hmm. you were telling someone who's brand new to this, like what would be your advice to them about how they can carry this forward? I think two things. Number one, don't ever think that what you're doing day to day isn't impacting the system as a whole. Okay. Because every time you go out and you do that visit, whether it's the initial visit Mm -hmm. or whether it's just a visit you're doing on a month with the child, with the birth parent, the work you're doing, building a relationship with a family, is helping that family. Whether that family wants to be helped or not, because a lot of our, most of our clients are involuntary, you're having an impact. Mm -hmm. But you're also driving a lot of other things. I know years ago when I was a frontline case manager, I don't think I knew how things fit together. Things truly do fit together. Everything you do as a frontline worker, even some of the things that you hate doing that there you feel there is absolutely no reason to do, mm-hmm. is impacting something big. Right. I remember when I was in foster care, I hated doing those child welfare benefits applications and all those you know uh, renewals and everything like that. Well those impact our $40 and our 40 funding and our 40 audit. And we, you know, by filling those pieces of paper out, whether, you know, you think this is just a waste of my time, you are actually ensuring that the money is there to provide services for that family as well as other families and other things. Right. Without it, we can't, we can't yeah, serve I mean, them. We and, can't give them resources right. and, and help. Yeah. Everything you do is impacting the whole system. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's very difficult when you're on, you know, a frontline case manager to really devote the time, because your time is really with those children and families, to understand how everything interconnects, but everything truly does interconnect. Right. I've been with the department for 20 years. It'll be 21 years in June uh, this year. Um, and I was with a private provider eight years before that. And it wasn't until the last probably six or seven years that I really could see the big picture where everything interconnected. But it really does. And it all starts with that visit. I mean, that first visit you do with the family is very important. Yeah. I mean, it impacts how yeah. they view I the mean, department and how we, our services, what what we do with the plan. There's so much that comes up in that first visit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, I've heard people say, I mean, you know, okay, well, I'm just going to run by, say hello, introduce myself, in and out 15 minutes. Mm, you know, first impressions, that is where you're going to get that initial engagement. If you put the time into that first visit, that's going to be a very important assessment. That's going to help engage them. And then from there, each visit you do can help you get a better and better and better and a better assessment. Also, because yeah, assessment's yeah. ongoing, yeah. we never we're always assessing. And you're not just assessing what brought that family to right. your attention, because you know one you know, you have these very complex cases, and maybe what brought the family to our attention is say dad is taking opioids well you 
dig deep in it and you find out, well, dad's on opioids because he had a medical condition and got prescribed the opioids and became addicted. Dad has also, you know, we went out because of physical abuse. Well, dad finally lost it. And a lot of it may come down to actual money issue. Um, Dad may have lost his job. They may be struggling financially. There may be other things going on in that home that has created the entire snowball effect that is what caused why we're involved. You really need to assess what started that first snowflake to shatter that snowball, if you will, to actually help that family. Because if you don't, that family's just going to be right back. I mean, it's engaging that family to truly, truly try to get to the root cause, which isn't easy. It isn't easy at all. Like, you know, it's it's a very powerful thing the front line can do that's really going to help everything that we do. And the more we're able to help families and keep them together non-custodially, then we can finally get to the point where we can focus more on tree prevention. You've been sitting here talking, Tony. One of the things that's really stood out for me is it sounds like CFSR is really about relationships. It seems like everything is coming down to whether it's our relationship with the family, the child, the foster parents, the relationships within the department, with our providers. It really seems like that's what we're focusing on improving. Is that, is that right? Well, it is because, I mean, you know, concerted efforts is a term that is in CFSR. And concerted efforts is all about our caseworker doing different things and making efforts to have things happen. Yeah. If you don't have that relationship on the front end, that's just going to make it more difficult for you. I mean, building the relationship on the front end with the birth parents, mm-hmm. building the relationship with the therapist, with the service provider, with the foster parent building those relationships are going to make it easier for you to informally assess but it's also going to help them to trust you a little more right because the family has been through a traumatic event now that if it's a foster care case the child has been removed they're not going to trust you when you go in so taking the time to really work on that relationship, engage, build, being honest and upfront with right. them and spending time with them. On the front end, it may seem very daunting if you're the case manager. Oh, I have, you know, 18, 19 cases. If I spend this amount of time with them on the front end, you know, that that's just going to be a lot of time. Right. But I think the important thing to remember is if you invest that time on the front end, they're going to do better generally and you're going to have your assessments nailed on and you're not going to have as many fires to put out in emergencies that you're running and doing months down the road so instead of being a full-time firefighter you're just voluntary right exactly i mean you know put it in on the front end with the engagement and stuff yeah and you're not going to constantly be in crisis mode months later right it's, it's just going to help you out, and it's going to help everybody out. And most importantly, it's going to help that family find permanency and hopefully have a successful, happy yes, life. Right. exactly. That's what it's about. All right, Tony, thank you for talking with us today about CFSR. We've uh, learned a lot, and have a great day. Oh, you too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this January 2020 edition of DCS Talk. 
please listen again to hear other subject matter experts discuss ways to advocate for children and ways to build resilient communities.